the skill set you need once you launch the game is no longer the skill set that brought you there. First, you need to launch a successful game. But then you need to start caring about what's happening outside of the game and coding is not gonna cut it. Welcome to episode 14 of the Craft Podcast. Uh, I can't believe we made it to episode 14. Uh, we are joined today by Ilya Rotelli, who is head of business development international for Amazon Games. Welcome, Ilya. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. I've known you for a long time now, and I've actually listened to you. You've been around gaming and esports so long that you essentially have content out there. Um, I've listened to your GDC talk. I've recently just re-listened to the community podcast, and I thought of some some similar questions and some new topics to uh, cover with you today. So the first question for you is: This podcast is about craft. What do you consider your craft to be? And since you have a lot of experience, you can have multiple crafts. Is it community management, or is it is it something else? The vocabulary of community management has always been complex and unsatisfactory. Uh, the best way I can put it is ecosystem management. And, and, and I can explain what that means. I work in games. I work for Wizards of the Coast. I work for Blizzard. I work for Riot now for uh, Amazon Games. And the core of my job has always been to worry about what happens to the player outside of the game. This is very typical of games as a service. A game as a service is a game in which instead of launching a game and moving on to whatever your next game is, as a game de developer, you want to build a long-term relationship with a player base in a, and the relationship is predicated on creating content, getting paid for that content so that you can create more content. And that's the simplest definition of what a game as a service could be, right? So when, when that happens, you're trying to build an evergreen, you're trying to build a game that lasts the test of time. Uh, Magic at this point, Magic was born in 1993. So it's going to become 30 soon. Dungeons and Dragons has already passed 30 and so forth. League of Legends, World of Warcraft, all of these are classic evergreen games. And they all share a number of traits, one of which is that as a developer, you care about what happens to your player outside of the game, which means that the skill set you need once you launch the game is no longer the skill set that brought you there. First, you need to launch a successful game, but then you need to start caring about what's happening outside of the game and coding is not going to cut it, right? Like you can't just code an experience outside of the game. And that's where ecosystem management comes into play. That's where community and esports and the disciplines that I've worked on for almost 30 years at this point help with uh, a problem that is way broader than just delivering an entertainment experience. And that, and I'll stop that for a second, but ecosystem management is the core of what I've been working on for 30 years at this point. First, uh, I really like something you said on your last uh, podcast. You said um, you don't like the concept of players as audience. And, and I agree with you. And, and frankly, many companies even do it today. And I think with that analogy, you know, I finally understood why 
in the past you were thinking about if you if, if the word community management was really just a word you needed to use in the gaming company because calling it ecosystem they, they just it would like break their brains right no one like community okay but esports okay but ecosystem that's a whole different thing which is interesting because you know you organized esports under community but i now understand the way you treat a community was more ecosystem it's 100 correct uh, there's a number of aspects to ecosystem management and one of them, a core aspect, is the relationship between people that play games and people that make those games. And so a lot of the thinking about community management, when, when you evoke the expression community manager, what comes to mind immediately is those humans whose job it is to facilitate a relationship between the people that make the games and the people that play the games. Uh, the reality is that history has proven over and over and over again that a community manager ends up being an ecosystem manager and does a number of other things that have nothing to do with managing the direct relationship between players and developers. And so ecosystem management is, to some extent, leftover opportunity that the people that are in the trenches end up picking up. That's what makes the space incredibly immature, right? Like the the, the fact that there is not enough recognition to building a game as a service and building a long-term relationship with the players requires a broad skill set to support players in a number of circumstances that are not just the relationship with the developer. And uh, therefore, the disciplines don't emerge and don't mature, so to speak. You know, everything you're saying makes perfect sense, especially to, uh, to people who work in the game industry, to people who are part of the gaming community. I think two examples, I like, to, I like to use other examples outside the gaming industry just to really highlight um, how important this could be. So one, one example is something you shared with me a long time ago. It was like a Harley Davidson, you know, Harvard Business Review article. And that was, that was like from 2004. And I have another example just from recently, which is a lot of VCs have noticed that uh, community is very important. I don't know if you, if you know this trend, but they're hiring heads of community for VC firms. And there's a growing movement where people are building a community first with their content and then building a product. So it's, it's kind of fascinating to see, you know, the venture capital world gravitate towards it. But can you talk more about this Harley Davidson example? Because I think once you told that story to me, that's what made me really, wow, like this isn't like a new thing. It's, you know, there, there are really many good examples of this happening in the past. There was one article from Harvard Business Review. I believe it was in 2009, it came out by um, Professor Susan Fournier. That for me was transformational. It was like that article, if you can read only one thing, you care about community and you can read only one thing, that's the article you need to read. And uh, it was a case study on Harley Davidson, um, how historical motorcycle company in, the, in, in North America almost went the way of the dodo, almost went bankrupt, and instead came back from the ashes and managed to assert itself as the iconic brand that we know today. Basically, what happened was that in the 80s, Asian competition was really hard to deal with for Harley Davidson. Motorcycles that came from Asia were high quality and lower priced than what uh, Harley Davidson was able to produce. And so at some point, the ownership and the leadership of the company basically went away and a group came together to try to save the brand and save uh, early days. What they did was they looked at 
okay, we still have some customers, right? There's still people that in spite of the superior products that are coming from Asia are buying Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Why? Who are these people? And what can we do that can resonate with more people like these? And they realized that the, for uh, this small niche, Harley-Davidson represented something that uh, Asian motorcycles could not substitute. Uh, they shared a, a lifestyle and a type of a set of values that they attached to Harley-Davidson and therefore they were not willing to buy superior motorcycles to, and give up, for, give up those values. These people were gathering together. They were, during the week, they, were, they had no regular jobs, but then during the weekend, they would dress in particular clothes and gather in events that made them a community, a community of motorcyclists that loved Harley Davidson as a brand. And Harley Davidson, what they did is, this is, this is our people, these are, this is the audience that we need to be relevant to, let's support them. And they did that through a number of tools. Number one, they started organizing these events. They were not just paying an event company to organize, organize these events, they physically went as an organization to run these events themselves merge with the audience that they were trying to serve and eventually start hiring people from that community. So they started merging their DNA with the customers they wanted to serve and the people that are living was relevant for all of a sudden in a voice on what the next motorcycle should be, on what the design should be, on what the, the features should be for, 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 for these vehicles should be. By being relevant to, by being customer obsessed, by merging with the audience they serve, Davidson thrived and is now the iconic brand that we know. Um, it's unclear today whether they can compete with Asian motorcycles or not, but that doesn't matter anymore because Harley Davidson transcends the simple functional value mm -hmm. that you get from a vehicle that takes you from point A to point B. It's a set of values that defines an identity of a group of people and as such is they, they built a gigantic competitive moat with competition. The concept of brand community is exactly what then applied to brands like Wizards of the Coast, to Riot, to Blizzard, and so forth. These are not people that play games. These are gamers. And the shift from an activity to an identity is crucial, and it's defined not by the game itself, but by the connection to other people that share values and a lifestyle that defines you as a human. That's super powerful. And it's something that it's really hard to compete against. And so in the companies that understood the power of brand community and fostered communities and build systems to connect people with each other into their games have reaped the rewards of never ending loyalty and evergreen games. And so that's, that's, the, that's the, the core concept of what um, building a brand community is about. And it applies to anything that, that creates a community. It's hard to build a brand community around soap, right? Like people that buy soap don't, will not connect intimately and they will not define themselves as a soap buyer or a soap user. Uh, it, it's really hard to create an identity around soap, but you can create an identity around motorcycle and you definitely can create an identity around games. So Harley-Davidson created essentially, as you called it, an ecosystem around um, their business. And, you know, we're focused on video games and esports here. So I want to dig into, let's say, the craft of that. So 
even understanding that you know most companies don't call it ecosystem management. What are some of the um, typical roles you see in this? You know, if this were like a team, you know, for example, like social media manager, community manager, et cetera, like what, what, what would be like the universe of roles in the perfect, you know, perfectly funded ecosystem team? Normally, there's six sub-disciplines of community. There can be more. There's a couple more that you can tackle on. But the six fundamental disciplines of community are player relations, player behavior, programs, editorial, events, and esports, right? This, this is the toolkit you need in order to manage an ecosystem. Player relations is the classic role, this classic discipline that people think of when they think about community management. That's the part of community that really manages the relationship between people that play games and people that make them. Player behavior worries about the relationship between players. So this is no longer the relationship between the developer and the player, it's the relationship between the players themselves. And uh, in many games, that relationship tends to be toxic, right? Like if you have ever played a game of League of Legends, your own team often will attack you for underperforming. And that's your own team, let alone your, like it's, it can be intimidating for a player to step in a game like League without, and, and then being berated for their inadequacy, for your inadequacy. It's really hard. So there's an entire discipline that worries about how can we improve that relationship? How can we mitigate the, the toxicity and improve uh, the, the connections and the, and, and, and the team play across the experience so that people will want to stay in this game? The third one is programs. Programs emerges from the understanding that some players will step up and they will choose to play a role that is above and beyond just being players. Streamers, tournament organizers, magic judges, guild leaders, cosplayers, pundits on YouTube. There is a number of critical roles that are really expanding the experience for all players. If you're a League of Legends, Magic, World of Warcraft player, you are exposed to this part of the community disproportionately more than the average players. And uh, as such, they really impact the perception you have of the company, of the game, and of the experiences that are being generated for you. So once you understand that, a programs team worries about identifying the people that are doing this, playing this role and rewarding for it, right? If you organize tournaments in colleges, I need you to do more and continue to do a lot of that because you're building engagement for my game. What systems have I built? How do I know you? Have I identified you? Am, am I putting you on top of, uh, am I turning you into a hero as you should be? Uh, I mean, am I rewarding you for the work that you do? The fourth one is editorial. Uh, that's again, very known role. It's what a lot of companies will refer to as social media manager. Uh, it's a lot more than that, more often than not. It also, the, the same group tends to also manage the, the game blog and manage collaborations with the community in which you create the co uh, content that truly represents both the brand and the community that creates it. There's a lot of creativity and a lot of great content that can be generated through the editorial team. Then there's events. Events is fairly obvious, but it can transcend the physical event and it can be online events as well. And then the last one is esports or competitive play. Those are the teams that worry about developing a competitive scene for games that 
have the critical mass and have the potential for being games where somebody wins and somebody loses, right? Um, and those are the basic disciplines. There's a few more like development relations, for example, is a seventh one if you want to tackle one on, which is about, okay, so there's people that are using, that are building tools for your game and they need an API, they need a set of rules to play by and so forth. So you, you build a, uh, there's a couple more sub-disciplines, but the core should give you a broad overview of what ecosystem management is all about. So you mentioned competitive play, and I think, you know, that's like a specific word. That word is not esports. What What is the relation or the difference between, in your mind, esports versus competitive play? The world seems to have defined esports as uh, the part of competitive play that other people are willing or interested to watch. Without that component, is not it's not called esports. So, for example, a Friday Night Magic event in our local hobby store here is not going to be called esports, even if it is played on Magic Arena. So the electronic component would be <laughs> would be covered. It's not going to be called esports because nobody is watching that event. So the, the the actual ecosystem you're trying to build is a competitive ecosystem that has a component that is watchable and interesting because some of the best players in the world are playing in that component. That's the top of the pyramid, right? Another interesting aspect of the gaming industry is that for some reason, right, all these lessons were already created by Wizards of the Coast in the 90s. Uh, Wizards of the Coast was the first company that used competitive play as a global system to support the promotion and development of the game. If, if one were to look today at the number of Magic tournaments pre-COVID that Wizards of the Coast runs every year, we're talking in the ballpark of a million, a million tournaments, right, every year which is insane to think about as, as a scope of work. All of that was created, developed, and refined in the 90s and in the early 2000s by Wizards of the Coast. And the gaming industry still has not caught up. The focus and the obsession is on the top of the pyramid and on the part that is watchable. And the rest is basically ignored under the premise that rank play is good enough to take care of the billions of people that are playing competitively every day, which is to me not the case, right? Like you could be building a complete pyramid. You could be building the different tiers of competition. You could be creating achievable goals for the masses that currently ranked definitely doesn't supply and the rest of the system as managed doesn't, doesn't supply. Another thing I want to get into is Wizards of the Coast because, uh, you know, especially the, the, you know, the people who I interact with a lot of people who work in the gaming industry in their mind it's really like blizzard riot uh they don't like even when you told me this whole story about wizards of the coast i, I was like oh okay this, like you've educated me on something so can you just give a quick history on like how magic works and how the competitive play grow it maybe even involving some of your own experiences when you were playing in italy yeah i I grew up as a kid in Italy in the 90s and Magic came out, right? Like I was an early kid that was playing old role-play games and then got exposed early in 1990, probably 1993, maybe early 1994 to the first uh, batch of Magic cards that made it to, to Italy. And um, a competitive scene organically grew by itself, basically. And then with the, with the help of the local distributor, 
So I started traveling around the country and playing magic. And by 1996, I closed the season number one in the rankings. Uh, I went to five pro tours uh, that were that I was invited to by Wizards. I always sucked. So I, I was doing really good in really well in Italy, but I've never performed at a professional level. So eventually I joined Wizards of the Coast. But that experience by itself was transformative for me as a person, defined my identity, my career, and what I was going to be forever, pretty much. But the same way was the, the seed of, of the brilliance of, of the system that Wizards of the Coast had created back in the days. Uh, imagine that you're in a, with a group of kids and you're playing games, and then one of you gets paid, invited and flies to Chicago, and you're an Italian kid, and goes to Chicago and then comes back with stories to tell about this adventure they went into. Like, maybe I've never been to the United States, and, and you come back. Everybody wants to play magic. Everybody at that point wants to, I want to go. I want for that to happen to me. So the, the, there was this driving force from the grassroots all the way to the professional level that for, for a second became real, right? Like, because you had one of your friends that it actually happened to, and that's a normal human that, that, that it happened to. And so that system that was created originally uh, by, by Wizards managed to put together all the tiers of competition from the pre-release tournaments, uh, which are a brilliant idea to uh, present a new set, uh, to Friday Night Magic, which is your weekly play that you go to your lo local game store and play uh, with your friends and it becomes the group of friends that you, it's like a poker night or like it's this, the same phenomenon. The game becomes an excuse to see your friends and, 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 and to hang out, right? But then there's an opportunity for the ones that can perform to, to level up and to go to the next level and and and, and that's the brilliance of the engine that was in the Coast created. Over the years, the number of tournaments grew and the number of tournament organizers grew and Magic became that evergreen that could have disappeared in the 90s and instead became a, a centerpiece of gaming, a, 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 an icon of, of how to build a, a global community. I think what's interesting is, you know, obviously, gaming and esports are our industries and then you know uh, we, we talked about some of the disciplines where you could like that that, that could be your craft within these industries one thing that has changed my own mind as i've gotten more experience and older is that uh, i really recognize like craft so uh you know when i was younger it just seems exciting to like you know jump companies every two years Okay, I'll do product and then I'll do something else and I'll do something else. But, um, you know, when you start, especially, you know, adding on like, you know, investments, uh, thinking about like, a, thinking about your life or your craft, like an index fund, I feel like uh, people don't pay attention, but all of a sudden you've got decades of really valuable experience. And which is why, you know, I think you're in the position you're in today. Uh, I do think we live in this world where, uh, you need to specialize before you become a general manager to some degree. So for our audience, as well as some of our craft podcast producers on this call here today, some of them are uh, like, like Jimmy, Jimmy's 18. I think Josh is like 21, you know, one uh, in college, one just graduated college. What are the craft they could invest in, you know, for years to get them, you know, like a good position uh, in the broad, I mean, gaming is it's just so broad now, but, you know, is it going to be uh, tournament organizing, like be an expert in that? 
or is it going to be content production like learn how to make the best thumbnails and um reduce the frequency you know in in, in the youtube videos like what do you think or what, what would you advise i'm not the right person to advise because i've always followed my my passion so it, it, it was never a matter of uh, clinical oh these are the opportunities i should go this direction because there's more there's a bigger market for this direction or this one i was a player i knew how to play games and then i knew how to organize tournaments and that's what i ended up doing right um and uh, and so I'm not sure I'm the best person to recommend a, a course of action other than consider very clearly what you're passionate about because the, the beauty of gaming is it's such a big industry these days that there's room for everything. Like you could pursue legitimately the stuff that you are in love with and potentially make a good career and there's going to be in it. But of all things, community is not a good like of all the things you could be doing in gaming, to be completely honest, like think about it. There's no vice president of community anywhere, right? Like realize this, like community is such a, one of the biggest functions that exist in all these games as service companies. And not one that I know of as a vice president of community. There's a vice president of everything. There's a vice president of finance. There's a vice president of HR. There's a vice president of production. There's a vice president of design. There's a vice president, name it. Name a discipline that's going to be a vice president for that discipline, except one, community. Clearly, it's such a vaguely defined space and immature space, yet still, that I can't, uh, uh, with my conscience, recommend somebody, unless you love it, unless that's what you want to do, in which case, go nuts. Maybe you're going to be the first vice president of community. But other than that, like, pick something that is more recognizable, more defined, more mature, as a discipline than the ones that I just described. Another not another interesting story, I, I know this from community because as you said, there's no VP of community. And another great tweet that I saw a couple of years ago, it was from the community manager of Fall Guys. So Fall Guys mega hit, uh, the community manager got a lot of credit and another community manager from another game basically threw shade at him and like subtweeted him and said something along the lines of, oh, this community, like community management only comes into play once the game is successful. And then this guy had a great tweet and he said, of course, the age old, uh, if the game is successful, it's like the game team. If the game is not successful, you blame community or like marketing. So, uh, yeah, it's like, it's a really tough role. Even when you do it right, you've got other people who think you did nothing to contribute to it. Uh, using Fall Guys as an example, because even to me, it, it, I mean, to me, it came out of nowhere. So do you think, you know, in that case, was there some uh, community work before the game launched and did they just like ride the wave? Like things were planned. It wasn't just like, okay, the game's successful. So therefore, automatically we have, a big social media presence now. I don't think it was accidental. I think the management of Oliver and the management of uh, um, the social media channels for uh, Mediatonic have been exceptional. They, I use them as a bar in my internal training of uh, how to do community engagement. All those social media channels that I use for ads or for PR, like for, for kind of robotic, regurgitated messaging are just wasted wasted content players want to be entertained players want to be engaged with want to be 
uh, and that's the focus of how you use social media. Never put an ad, never rare call to action when you really have to and when it's a piece of content, ideally. And uh, and I think the guys at Mediatonic have done an amazing job and, and, and all the awards and recognition that they got for, for, for that uh, are all very well deserved. Uh, whether a social media approach can save a bad game, I don't think so, right? Like, the, the game needs to have a certain amount of quality in order to create a, a core audience, however small it might be. And then you can nurture, support, and listen to that core audience that you have and use your, your channels to do that. And then in time, emerge again. Like Among Us took years to become the global phenomenon it was. And at no point in time, the, the development team abandoned the audience they had uh, because they were just too small, right? So it is possible for a game that has a spark of genius in it, that has the quality in it, that just needs to be discovered and developed and, and, and found over time. It is possible to do community management that will take you there, but it needs to be something to the game. Like if the game is, is bad, uh, you're, you're never gonna fix for that game just with good community management, right? This makes me think of something it's a comment. It's a comment that you don't have to comment on, which is um, when like, I've been following the new world social media recently, and I think they're doing a great job. And I think it was really part of the seeds you planted many years ago because the dev team took, they took a while to start understanding that um, social media isn't like a broadcast channel, right? I mean, it could be if you approach it that way. But when I look at all the new world tweets right now, I, I love it because it's all full of engagement, it's timely. And, and of course, the hardest thing for a gaming social media uh, manager is like the memes. Like New World has been pretty good with the memes. They're finding like people making funny tweets. Like I, I found one the other day where, uh, 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 I think it was a streamer or a big fan. He said, you know, after playing New World for like, you know, 30 or 300 hours, when he goes out in the world, he sees like the, the new world, um, the UI placements for like uh, like tree or shrub. It's like like dog, tree, shrub. And it's just so subtle. But, you know, that's the thing with memes, right? Like it's just image plus word and it, it's just freaking hilarious. So um, it's great to um, see something from many years ago and then like they, it evolves and it kind of struggles and then ultimately hopefully succeeds. It's, it's been successful so far in closed beta. Hopefully it does even more. Uh, gangbuster from here. I think you see the love there, right? Like if you, if the people that are managing the social media channels, like Media Tonic, like the New World team, truly feel the players, and they are they come from that community. They are one and the same with that community. Then the language and the dialogue and the engagement come natural. It's, it's just what they do and who they are that defines the content they create and share. And and. That's so that's the best thing you can ask from a social media team. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining this podcast. Um, how can other uh, listeners get in touch with you? Like LinkedIn or Twitter? What do you prefer? Uh, anything works. My Twitter is at neutral ground. And you can find me with first and last name on LinkedIn.